Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The week is running out fast, ladies and gentlemen, and as ever, uh, there is an awful lot to be getting on with. We've got government ministers preparing to announce some poor countries can be added to the green list so we can go on holiday there without having to quarantine on our return. But I'm not entirely convinced uh, that it's going to be great news. Uh, I think it might be a little tiny, tiny, teeny weeny bit of possibly reasonable news, but I think that's probably about it. Meanwhile, over in Germany, Angela Merkel reckons we shouldn't be able to go anywhere in Europe at all, thanks to the Delta variant. Charming, isn't it? It's always good to get travel advice from the Germans, particularly with the next match for England in the Euros coming up on Tuesday. Here's an idea. Perhaps Boris Johnson should ban all German officials from UEFA from coming here by way of retaliation. Do you see how stupid this kind of thing can get? What business is it of Angela Merkel's? How many Britons go on holiday to the European Union? whether it's Germany or Spain or Greece. By the way, she's only uh, the uh, woman in charge of Germany. She's not in charge of Spain. She's not in charge of Greece. She's not in charge uh, of Italy. And she's not in charge of even Gibraltar. So I think she needs to pipe down, quite frankly. First up this morning, we're joined by Baroness Fox of Buckley, who wants to continue to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Brexit, and why not? Uh, And she's got plenty to say about the social cost of the Environment Bill currently being pushed through uh, by the Green Tories. I don't think anyone, save for a few champagne socialists with more money than cents, actually wants to spend any more money saving the planet. And they certainly don't want to cough up £18,000 to get a new boiler. Did you see that MP yesterday, by the way? I can't remember his name. Backbencher at Prime Minister's Questions saying that it should be made compulsory for new build homes to have solar panels put on them. Oh, thanks. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we're joined by lawyer and author Helen Dale, who will have quite a bit to say about the Royal Academy and their ridiculous apology to artist Jester Walls over their ludicrous decision to ban her work from their gift shop because of a row over some uh, slight to transphobia. Plus, she'll be bringing us up to date on the latest nonsense from the European Union. We'll also check in with the travel business. Uh, Yesterday, they held a day of action across the country to convince ministers that the government must now act to enable airlines, cruise companies and holiday firms to do what they do best and get people actually travelling. It is time. 0344 499 1000. As ever, of course, we want to hear from all of you. Uh, As we hear more and more predictions that masks will no longer be required, social distancing will disappear and life will return to normal next month on the 19th, we need to know what you're seeing, what you're hearing and what you're actually doing. And as we didn't know, the Duke and Duchess of Netflix are at it again, despite the... um, 
the holiday that they've taken for parental leave. In addition to asking for more documents and more money, it turns out that the Herbert, formerly known as Prince, forgot to tell us that his dad gave him a few million quid last year, completely contrary to his claim that he was cut off financially by his family. Royal author Angela Levin will explain. And because it's Thursday, we've got a very special edition of the Thursday Club with Helen Nicklin and a few friends. We're hoping to be out on the balcony once more, so you won't want to miss that again. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the home of Common Sense, the original and the best, the very cradle of truth. It's the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us say a very good morning to Claire Fox, otherwise known as Baroness Fox of Buckley. Claire, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm I'm well, although, like everybody, I just can't stand the uncertainty mm. of thinking, are we going to be given our freedom? And the fact that you even think like that, that it's got to be granted to you, it drives me mad. I know. It kind of, it's kind of irritating, isn't it, that you're thinking, well, let's hope we can go somewhere in the summer. And I'm thinking, you know what, I don't want to be hoping that I can go somewhere in the summer. I just want to go somewhere in the summer, if that's all right with the police. I, I know. Uh, also, the Academy of Ideas, we'd organised this fantastic event on the 17th of July uh, on education and freedom at the University of Buckingham, and we've been forced to postpone it because the rules and regulations were just going to mean that we were going to be meeting people in the most distorted circumstances. The old point about our Battle of Ideas festivals is that there's a real buzz, lots of interaction. And of course, we planned it to be after the so-called yeah. Freedom Day. And now we're kind of like, so we've had to postpone it months and months and months of work, you know. So for, for listeners, by the way, we are going to have a mini event on the 31st of July in London. So okay. do look out for the Academy of Ideas on that. But oh, well. the reason I'm saying it is because the frustration of it all is driving us all mad. Oh, absolutely right. Well, I mean, I've had similarly, I mean, not be- not because I don't have any ideas, but I had about three party invitations that I was going to go to, <laughs> all of which have now been cancelled because yeah. they were again planned for after June the 21st. And people are like, well, I suppose we can't really do them now because they're in people's houses, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just ludicrous. It really is. So tell us anyway, uh, one thing yeah, we have on. celebrated this week, which we, kid, yeah. we, we did a bit of yesterday, I know you're keen to do a bit of today, is the fifth anniversary of the referendum. Um, and it's amazing, isn't it, how little was done on that by an awful lot of the media who couldn't uh, actually care less and would rather it hadn't happened. And in fact, the main story that seemed to emerge from most of the news organisations in this country was how most people now would vote to stay in. Uh, it is extraordinary because it's a significant anniversary, five years, and... What it really struck me was when I kind of just mentioned it on things that I've done, mm. the number of leaders said it was someone. You're, 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 I'll tell success. you what, Claire, we're going to try and get you on a better, slightly better signal because it's it's breaking up quite a bit. We can't quite hear what you're saying, but we will uh, be sticking with Claire Fox, uh, who is, of course, also uh, from the Academy of Ideas, director indeed of the Academy of Ideas. Uh, what we want to do is hear the ideas uh, rather than the interruptions. The great thing about um, Zoom calls, right, and the great thing about this country is that we've got fantastic internet. He quipped. I'll tell you what, the number of times I'm sitting in my place in London and the internet just basically doesn't work is extraordinary. Now, you might say to me, well, that's because there's lots of people watching the football at the same time or live streaming something at the same time or lots of people using the internet at the same time. Well, I'm sorry. You know, we've been told ever since the time of David Cameron that we're going to get 5G all over the country. We're going to get 5G uh, up and down the land. Everybody's going to be able to communicate with each other at high speed. Well, would you please mind getting on with it? Because it's starting to really grind my gears. Let's get Claire back. I think we have. Hi, Claire. 
Hello, I'm now on the old-fashioned phone. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what, this is what really, really winds me up, actually. You know, we keep getting told by successive prime ministers how we're going to have fantastic, um, you know, Wi-Fi, we're going to be able to communicate high-speed internet everywhere, even in Dorset. It doesn't even work in London. Well, this is why the arguments for working from home are so ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah. This idea that everything can be replaced by a Zoom call. Mm. I mean, by the way, I appreciate that a lot of the time it has worked and it can work, but it's not real life, and I wish I was in the studio. Yeah, I do too. And also, you can't rely on the internet in, the, in, in, a, in a consistent way. You can't communicate in the way that you could face-to-face. Well, we've also seen, haven't we, uh, if something does go wrong, like when the internet went down um, a couple of weeks ago, which killed off uh, quite a few big uh, corporations, quite a few big media companies, and government, apparently, uh, websites all got shut down, you suddenly incap- you can't do anything. You can't work. No, I mean, it becomes impossible. I mean, I think just to to make a plea for returning to work, by the way, um, I think we all can feel sympathy with those who say, well, isn't it good to kind of work from home? I'm more productive. And I can understand that people don't like the idea of the commute. And it's always, I mean, I have a certain dread when I have to go in the office, whether that's to the laws or the Academy of Ideas. It's, you know, you just don't want to do it. Mm. Why bother? But I'll tell you what, you're a million times more creative when you're with people. Yes. Yeah, I don't you, be- you, I, you, I frankly don't believe pressure. I don't believe people Claire who say that they're more productive at home than they are in an office. I just don't believe it. Well, it's produ- productive in just a bean counting way. You might be able to get through your list because you're not disturbed by lots of things. I mean, some people might have the telly on or whatever, but a lot, the point for me is you go to work, you meet people, you interact. Mm. You have conversations. You, it's, it's the things, the nooks and crannies of the way work works. And for, particularly for young members of staff, by the way, it's how they learn the job. Yeah. You kind of walk the boards. You kind of work out how to negotiate things. So I find that when we have a face-to-face meeting at the Academy of Ideas, by the way, in, in a two-hour face-to-face meeting, we get through and solve more problems than in weeks and weeks of Zoom meetings because we, we just click together and that's how it happens yeah. so I, I it's not just the technology that doesn't work there's a reason why we as human beings are social but you know uh, beings we talk to each other it's the way that we interact that makes life worth living of course Being socially isolated at home with the odd zoom call is no compensation for real life no it absolutely isn't now i think you were in the midst of a, a of a treatise about uh, brexit and why this is an important yeah, um, an important anniversary five years yeah, well, I think that it's it's quite feasible that if we'd voted to leave the European Union and they'd let that happen straight away, that this would have not been as significant. But because when we voted to leave the European Union and to remind everyone, a vote that, you know, somebody like me, I wasn't an active uh, Eurosceptic. I mean, I, I wanted to leave, but I hadn't been out on the streets. I, I can't take any claim for having created the mood that got us out. Mm. But I just did that thing, which was the government asked us whether we wanted to leave or not. And I thought, oh, I do, actually, because I don't think that the EU is democratic. Right. I believe in sovereignty. Left. I didn't anticipate that the whole of polite society, the whole of the establishment, would then accuse me or and everyone else who did that, of making a mistake, being ignorant, not knowing what we were doing, xenophobic, knuckle-dragging, potential racist, etc., etc. That created, I think, the divisions that people sometimes associate with Brexit because the establishment turned on the voters for voting the wrong way. And then Leave voters had to fight for four years in order to do 
the thing which the government had asked them to do, mm. which is to take their vote seriously. Yes. So that's made it a very significant five years for me. The fact was, we thought, I thought we were going to lose. Yeah. I thought, not that we were going to lose on the day, but that we were going to have it snatched from us. Yes. So I think the reason to celebrate ordinary voters having the persistence and the resilience to keep saying time and again, no, we voted to leave, we still want to leave, we're leaving. Yeah. And that's the only reason we left in the end. Well, exactly right. I mean, people forget because they've got short memories what 2019 was like. You know, before Boris Johnson won that big majority in December, we were down in the Parliament every single day. I remember being there on a Saturday. Uh, Oliver Letwin screwed everything up when it was meant to be the day that it was all going to happen. Yeah. And I genuinely thought, this is never going to happen. This is never going to end. We're going to be sitting here for weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years. And all these people, uh, you know, like Dominic Grieve and Oliver Letwin and the Tories who didn't want it to happen, we're all going to just stop it. And there was eventually going to be maybe another second referendum. Well, that's exactly why, in the end, and I, I had never wanted to get involved in formal politics, in the end, that's why I stood for the Brexit mm. Party as an MEP, because I realised that it would take people from all sides of the political spectrum, as it were, to stand up and, you know, put their head above the parapet. Yeah. And I, I stood in those elections. I, I really didn't want to, because I was on, one, you know, a number of those demos. I spoke at one of those rallies organised by Leave Means Leave, and... You know, I, I, I quoted that um, Chawumba Wumba song, you know, they knock us down, we get up again. Yeah. Because that's what it felt like, you know. They think we're down. They absolutely battered us. And every time the voters got up, so I was inspired by ordinary people to stand. And if that hadn't happened, if the Brexit party hadn't actually won in those European elections, actually the Tories would have carried on selling out. I mean, Boris Johnson owes a lot to what happened then because he... That, shook up the Tory party, because they got humiliated in those European elections. Mm. Um, and they realised, in order to ever have a chance of, uh, you know, being a ruling party again, they needed to change their attitude to, to the Leave vote. As we know, the Labour Party still haven't learned those lessons. I mean, the, the Labour Party, even now, despite sort of with a shrugging reluctance saying, well, we accept the Brexit vote, we know that most of the front bench just hate it. Mm. Uh, despite... They... they they sort of say, well, they, well, we'll do it, but it's with such reluctance. So yes, and they're sort of, it's strangely hold below the waterline now because all the Corbynites actually hate the European Union, but they just can't bring themselves to say it publicly. Well, I, I think one of the most depressing things for me as somebody, you know, historically on the left was that so many of my, you know, peers on the left were, as you say, hostile to the European Union in the kind of Peter Shaw, Tony Benn tradition. Yeah. You know, lots of people had stood in that. And also the treatment of Greece and the meeting out of austerity was the final straw for people. But as soon as the referendum was called, they just lost their bottle. And obviously Corbyn was the main one. I mean, mm. uh, he uh, was a major Eurosceptic. They, they lost their bottle, and so... They didn't vote to leave, and then they kind of reluctantly accepted it. But all the time they try and effectively explain their um, cowardice by saying, oh, well, it got taken over by the far right. In other words, they add to the demonisation mm. of ordinary leave voters by carrying on with that myth that anyone who voted to leave had something dodgy about them. Yeah. No, absolutely. It was absolutely shocking stuff. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We're talking to Claire Fox, Baroness Fox of Buckley. Uh, uh, Baroness, let's talk a little bit about the Environment Bill because uh, it's getting closer and closer, this idea that they've got of kind of, you know, telling everyone to get a new boiler. I was, I was shocked yesterday to see a backbench Tory MP, I don't know if you saw it, during PMQs, asking for uh, solar panels to be made compulsory on every new build house. So uh, the, um, the net zero target and the fact that we've got... Uh, COP26 coming up in November means that there's great excitement and enthusiasm in both houses in Parliament to get as much green legislation under their belt. The Environment Bill itself actually relates to many things which we're all worried about, you know, how you tackle flooding, Mm. um, problems of pollution and, you know, issues of that nature. But every time they um, go into any detail, the argument is always we've got to make things uh, binding targets that force people to do it because there's a recognition in in many ways that ordinary people you know they care about the environment they certainly care about the countryside they like wildlife they want to protect it all of those things but the actual costs of what it will mean to go carbon neutral for ordinary people is never spelled out what it will mean to have laws that say um that you as you say you have to get rid of your gas boiler that you you have to abolish your car. I mean, you will not just be able to buy an ordinary car. No. They don't want us to drive um, very much anyway, but if you're going to drive, you have to buy an extremely expensive electric car, even though the infrastructure doesn't exist. Right. Even though at the moment, uh, the very point about driving, isn't it, is that it's, you're free. Mm. You can get in the car, go anywhere you want. For an awful lot of uh, women in society, that gives them a, a, a way of, you know, keeping the family together, working in the community, driving around. A lot of workers depend on it, every driver. They're all being demonised while they're singing the praises of electric cars, which actually you have to plug in. There isn't uh, the facilities to do that very easily. So the very opposite of freedom, you're negotiating your way around that technology. So it's driving me mad that they won't have an honest conversation with the public and say, in order to do this, you are going to have to pay this, 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 mm. this, and this. Instead, they make out, well, there's all these things that are in the law, so we have to just arrive at the targets. They never discuss whether that was a good idea in the first place, no. is my point. And also, they never discuss whether even hitting such a such and such a target is going to save the planet in any event, because it isn't. You know, we produce something like 1% of the world's carbon, you know, and it's all very well. Whenever you say this to anyone who wants it to happen, they go, oh, yeah, but we've got to set an example to the other countries of the world. Well, why? Why do we have to do it? You know, it seems well, absolute that, madness yeah. to me. Yeah, well, the target has become the end point. You know, you kind of forget what, what it was you were doing in the first place. The, the reality is, is that there are challenges thrown up by the fact that human beings have an impact on the planet. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But it's an impact which, if we are... Sort of volcanoes. Negative impact, yeah, well, if we have negative impacts, we can solve them. The way that it's been put forward is that the way that we should stop having an impact is to stop doing the things which mm. have made life worth living stop modernity mm. industrialization modern uh, conveniences are things which have liberated us i don't want to actually have less of those that's what's given us the degree of um, uh, freedom that we enjoy yeah. i mean all of the things that are supposedly taking away the uh, imp- the impact on the environment are things like oh i don't know air conditioning mm. putting the microwave on the washing machine, there is a reason why modern heating, I don't want to have a, a, a pump boiler, by the way, a heat pump boiler, because they don't give you as much heat. Right. It'll, only, it'll cost you a fortune, and gas boilers 
and gas central heating as being one of the great, brilliant gains of the modern world. Mm. So they're trying to say, well, we've got to learn to adapt. We've got to educate the public so that they change their behaviour. Mm. And we know well, Some of these in, nutters, Claire, yeah. you know, they want you to basically only eat what you can grow in the garden or in your window <laughs> box. You know, don't go anywhere in anything that's got an engine. You know, basically don't ever fly again. Don't go on holiday. You know, uh, make sure that whatever you do, um, you, you basically don't actually wear anything which is made from an animal. I mean, it's completely bonkers. I don't really... If people... I mean, in my... You know, you and I, when we grew up, there were always nutty people around like that. Let them do it. Like the bloke used to walk up and down Oxford Street with the, with the you know, buy, buy my nuts. The world's coming to an end. You know, I mean, that's how we used to treat them. I think we go back to that. Well, I think that's true, but there's, there's two big changes, isn't there? Which is that there are... The, the fringes of the green movement have now become mainstreamed. Mm. And as you started off this item, making the point that, you know, all the political parties, including the, uh, in, the Tories, are very enthusiastic for the environmental yeah. issues. The second problem is, think about what we've just been through in relation to COVID and the lockdown scenario. So there we were told that um, there was an emergency and therefore the government could suspend civil liberties, take away our freedoms and tell us how to behave. Yeah. That's why it makes me very nervous when they want to make into law that we are facing a climate uh, emergency or a biodiversity emergency. Because once you start declaring things as emergencies, then the government get given the right to take decisions on our behalf because they know what's best. So it's the mainstreaming that makes me nervous. And, you know, we started off talking about Brexit. Why did people vote Brexit? They voted so that they could take back control from unelected bureaucrats in Brussels. The problem with, for example, the Environment Bill or any of the climate changes is that they want to have unelected environmental NGOs dictating how people should live in this country. And that seems to me to be the biggest challenge for Leavers, which is we did leave the European Union. Great, good start on the democratic road. But my goodness, the environmental issues present us with a whole new set of challenges and a whole new lot of bureaucrats we have to get around. Yeah, I know. Absolutely horrendous. Well, it's another fight and we can uh, probably win this one as well if we're careful. Baroness Fox. Baroness Claire Fox of Buckley. Thank you very much indeed. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Coming up, we're talking travel. Yesterday, there was a travel day of action uh, in the UK. Uh, people went and demonstrated outside Parliament in London, uh, outside the Holyrood in Scotland, uh, and also outside uh, the, uh, the Welsh Assembly, and I think also in Northern Ireland as well. So basically, the travel industry, which is run by what I would regard as pretty civilised people, most of the people who work in the travel industry are honest-to-goodness, hard-working men and women who have been doing that job for a very long time. The sort of people that work as pilots, the sort of people that work as cabin crew, the sort of people that run holiday companies. These are very ordinary people who are absolutely at the end of their tether because this government has made it practically impossible for anybody to go anywhere. And there are certain people in this world who think that they're doing it deliberately. In fact, I've got a tweet here from Sarah uh, who basically said, I'm pretty sure those in charge of the travel announcements and restrictions know exactly what they're doing and the uncertainty is part of their fear and control campaign. Hashtag enough is enough. I was on with Mark Dolan yesterday and I said it's time uh, because the people's revolution, I think, needs to happen. Not in a violent way, uh, not in a law-breaking way of any, of any kind, but in a way that we demonstrate to these bozos in Parliament that we're not going to take this nonsense anymore. People need to go on holiday, not just because it's good for their mental health and it's good for their families and it's good for their general well-being. It's also something which an awful lot of people who have worked very hard over the past year and who have un been under quite a bit of stress need to do. It's also a business that an awful lot of people are employed in who need to be able to do that work. We're going to talk now to Rob ashton Kane, Product and Customer Service Manager, of course, at Hargreaves and Nurse Holidays. Rob, a uh, very good morning to you. Morning, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. I mean, we're told that there might well be some kind of announcement this afternoon that some countries might be added to the green list. But, I mean, as the day wears on, I'm becoming less and less optimistic, really, about what they're going to actually say. Yeah, I mean, depending on which of the, the ministers you actually speak to, they, they, as usual, they're telling you a different tale. Yes. Um, Grant Chaps is saying, well, we, we need to be waiting until Monday. My, uh, Matt Hancock is suggesting that there may be something today. They were getting the usual rubbish about, oh, we're following the data, not dates. Yeah, well, right. then why are we making specific notes about specific dates? But your question, no, I am not confident that there will be anything happening today. No. Um, We'll see. This is the thing. I mean, and also, we've kind of kiboshed ourselves once again, thanks to Boris Johnson and the ludicrous um, the Delta variant, which doesn't appear to be any more dangerous than any other variant that we've ever had. Uh, but they keep pushing up the numbers because they've been surge testing in all sorts of parts of Britain, trying to find people that have got it. And then they suddenly get surprised when, it go, when the numbers go up. And then Germany now comes out and says, Angela Merkel, uh, actually, we'd rather you Brits didn't come to Europe at all. Thanks very much. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there, there is an obvious correlation between the increase in the number of people that are being tested positive for this Delta variant. Take it back to when Mr. Johnson was supposed to be doing his wonderful trade deal with India and decided, well, we'll close the borders with Pakistan and with Bangladesh, but yeah. we'll leave the one open with India. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Another great idea from the House yeah. of Idiots. I mean, it really is quite <laughs> extraordinary how anybody can now take them seriously. But there's no question in my mind, Rob, and I'm probably sure that you would agree, that they, I think they're just deliberately trying to stop us from going anywhere. I've said this from the outside, Mike. I, there is no, there's no reason why you look at the actual uh, statistics, the data that they contend that they are looking at, of pretty much every country in Europe mm. is lower infection rate, higher vaccination rate now than the UK, getting towards the same numbers of percentage people vaccinated, lower number of hospital admissions and 
practically no deaths due allegedly due to covid so it's safer to be in europe than it is to be in the uk yet you go on holiday you dare to go on holiday to europe and you you, you get treated like a pariah when you try and go back into your own country yeah. it's ridiculous exactly right how's it been since you and i spoke last a few weeks ago rob uh, in terms of where you are you you run a, a holiday company that sort of specializes in mediterranean islands don't you yeah it's well actually it took a, a huge turn for the worse last week Did when it? Italy said that anybody coming from the UK has to self-isolate for five days because not only does that stop people from having the, 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 the desire to book knowing that they're going to waste five days on the holiday but because we can no longer deliver the, the, the holiday experience that they have paid us to deliver mm. then we are obliged, obliged to refund them right. we can't you know if they say I want to cancel they cancel yeah. but the problem is if they've booked a package they cancel we may still still have to pay the hotel still have to pay the airfare right. so not only do we not get their money we still have to pay out that's outrageous isn't it and there's no protection well, this for is, that? but, but I, i'm not even sure that mr shaps actually comprehends that i can't see how he could understand that and 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 actually treat us the way that he's treating the industry knowing that people are actually it's costing companies money mm. to actually not send people on holiday yeah it's, it's absolutely it's, it's just crazy isn't it and i mean yeah. it's now fairly open the rest of europe to the rest of the european countries and of course you know those who would like to do so blame it all on brexit it's got nothing to do with brexit but it's got everything to do with i think the badly managed uh, government in this country uh, actually making out that things here are worse than they actually are because they're trying to convince us that they're worse than they actually are. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, uh, this is it. I mean, you know, the, 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 tr the movement it, within Europe now is, is practically unrestricted. You can go backwards and forwards, France, Germany, Spain, doesn't really matter. But, of course, because we are being convinced by the government that things are bad, mm. the media are telling us that things are bad, the European countries are looking at the British media and going, oh, things are bad, mm. you're not coming in. Yeah, so we shot ourselves in the foot. Well, we really have, and we sort of snookered ourselves in in the uh, old-fashioned parlance. It's kind of, yes. it's just barely, barely sort of believable that they could be this useless. Well, tell me about it. I, I mean, mean, you know, know and, and that you, you could see by the manifestation yesterday the amount of people. I mean, bearing in mind that 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 yesterday represented only a fraction of the people that are affected by the consequences of this ridiculous government mm. policy um the amount of people that were allowed to be there was limited because of course the government says you can only have so many people in a in a, uh, in a group at one time yeah. um but you could see that the, the strength of emotion from as you very kindly introduced us in the business as intelligent rational sensible people mm. um you know, there were a couple of MPs there clearly that were, were were calling upon their own government to change the policy. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, I was pleased you know, to see Ian Duncan Smith out and about talking to people because he's actually become a really good uh, local MP uh, since he actually left lead leadership of the party when he wasn't particularly good at that. But I mean, he's a really reliable <laughs> guy who appears to understand what it's like for ordinary people who've got ordinary jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, that's the sort of spokesperson that we need because he's got a He's got a presence. He's got a, an acknowledged following mm. and and a, and, a, and a reputation, albeit not necessarily good in certain instances. But you know, to have to have an ambassador like him would be brilliant. Mm. It's just the the problem is is that we we're almost in a stage now where it doesn't really matter how good the ambassadors are, how big the strength of feeling is. This government has produced an agenda that, for whatever reason, it believes is correct. And he's going to follow it, mm. irrespective of what the actual real data says. Right. 
Well, this so, is it. I mean, know. the real data um, is a nonsense, and they're using it now for their own ends because everybody yeah. knows, as I say, the reason that uh, there is so many more uh, cases, as they call it, which is also wrong yeah. because all it means is a positive, positive test, not a case. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean anybody's ill. It's because they've been testing no. loads of people. They've been surge testing all over Scotland looking for the COVID Indian variant or whatever the hell it's mm-hmm. called now. Uh, <laughs> and guess what? They found it, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, the the problem is, is that there is there is no reason, real reason why anybody should not be allowed to go on holiday without worrying about what they're going to be subjected to when they get back. It's it's preposterous. I know. And And if they do, if they do actually do the right thing on July the 19th and then make it possible for everybody to travel, who knows whether the, the Europeans will say, actually, no, thanks. Well, we've also got the problem that, of course, as we, as we mentioned before, that a lot of European countries are, are able to travel backwards and forwards mm. between themselves. Yeah. So the Europeans are booking holidays. And the problem we're potentially going to have is that if, fingers crossed, when the Brits are allowed to go on holiday, is there going to be any availability left anyway? Or are mm. there all, you know, all the Germans and the Italians and the French and all the rest of it taking up the, uh, the holiday accommodation? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. It's, oh, not it just, it's, not just Han- it's not just Matt Hancock that's effing useless, is it? They all are, no, I think, by no, the looks of it. They're all useless. I know, they're they really exactly. are. Rob, listen, I wish we had better news to bring you, uh, but I haven't got any yet. But we'll hopefully get something later on that might make things a little bit easier. But it's not looking good. Rob Ashton Kane there talking uh, from his island hideaway. Uh, I think he's on Sardinia. Uh, but he also does holidays in Corsica. He also does holidays in other Mediterranean islands as well. And the point is, as he says, all the places will be gone because the Europeans are going. In, on holiday, as, as much as you like. But we, because we have kiboshed ourselves, because Boris Johnson brilliantly has snookered himself into a corner because we've got so many cases of the coronavirus Delta variant that nobody wants us. Well done, Boris. I mean, what a complete and utter plank. God almighty. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's say a very, very good afternoon to Angela Levin. Angela, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very well indeed. It feels like we haven't spoken for a while. I'm sorry about that. I know. I've missed you. It's been too long. Absolutely right. Now, uh, let us talk once more about the narrative coming out of Montecito, California, uh, which appears to be uh, once again wrong. Because he was very clear, wasn't he? Categorically clear uh, when he did his interview with Oprah Winfrey, the short part of it that he did, that he was cut off by by his own family, by his own father. Yes, he's also said that he felt very let down. Uh, it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? My only way of um, walking through this is that he and Meghan thought the three to four million pounds that his father gave them to help set them up mm. was absolutely nothing. They needed loads more. Mm. Um, that's the only excuse I can make for what otherwise is a blatant lie. Yes. We've got a pile of them now. Nearly every couple of days, they're piling up. And I think that's often due to the fact that the palace now says they're not going to keep up with the Queen's favourite saying, which is, um, don't complain and don't explain. Yes. They've now decided they're not going to let things lie. Um, and whoever it is to get away with it because they know they don't respond and they're coming back with evidence and detail and um, they they look more and more 
nasty. Yes. And, 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 this, and this, as you say, is evidential because it comes from the royal accounts which were published um, just yesterday. And they show that he continued to be funded all the way through the summer of last year, which is after they left the country. So when they were living presumably on Vancouver Island, they were still getting free money from Daddy. Yeah. Yes, I think um, that was uh, whispered as it was going on and also that he was paying for um, their protection officers. But after a while, he couldn't um, continue to pay that, not because he was mean, because he's absolutely not, but because it, it we couldn't use the, the guys taken away from the UK mm. to fly over. There has to be six for each person, right? And so they could stay for two weeks and they go back to the UK and then another lot will come out. And it was just costing an absolute fortune with flights and all and fee and all the rest of it. So that had to stop. Um, but they they don't want to pay anything. They want to get the money rolling in mm. with doing very little in return. And that's been shown up with Spotify. They were offered an 18 million contract. They've done one extremely boring podcast yeah. of half an hour when people like Elton John were complaining they couldn't take their private planes um, <laughs> out of the country. It's a great classic. Um, I'm very sorry for them. They weren't um, questioned by Meghan and Harry. They just had to send in a five or ten minute sort of speakability mm. um and and so you know i think that spotify are going to take action in august unless they you know make up their minds well i think i mean even even american companies as much as they love celebrities you know they want their money's worth they're very very hard-nosed they're very uh, much all about the money and if they, they feel like they're not getting their money's worth then you're quite right they'll go well either you do some more of this stuff um, or, you know, we'll just have some of the money back, thanks. Well, I think it goes back long ago, three or four years ago, when Meghan thought she was going to marry a very, very rich prince. Yes. And she thought he might be a billionaire. In fact, she wanted him to be a billionaire. Yeah. But in fact, he's a millionaire, and that seems not good enough. So here is the <laughs> hunt and the desperation to get masses and masses and masses of money. Yeah. It really it's, is quite quite of... extraordinary. And also this latest gaffe of his, uh, in which he's been shown to have told lies about uh, how much money he actually was given by his father. I mean, how's that going to play uh, with his fake news agenda that he's trying to run out of that foundation in Colorado, who have also hired him uh, to be a spokesman for them? Yeah, I think they have a way of cutting off what they do for what everybody else mm. should be doing. It's the same thing with their favourite sentence about compassion. Yeah. You know, Megan was saying you have to be compassionate to those you know and those you don't know. So you can tell falses, big or small, yeah. but other people mustn't, just no. like other people mustn't take plane, but you can. Yes. I think there's a very sort of, like a brick wall between the two things, them, what they do and how they do it, what they believe in, and, and then what the world... Megan's always talking about globally. You've got to change how people behave globally. But actually, life begins with individuals mm. and how they behave and what they do and their moral standards. Well, exactly right. And also, wasn't it rather pathetic uh, to see a message that she put out on Father's Day uh, all about what a great father Harry was and how Archie loved reading her 150-word book and was now a voracious reader without any mention of her own father, uh, who she hasn't spoken to, I'm afraid, for rather a long time. 
I know. It, but there again, that's the separation, isn't it? She, but it's also nonsense about Harry. That, um, that's a book for children, right. allegedly. But no child's interested in somebody else's father and how much Meghan loves him and doesn't love him. Right. So it's really, I think, um, an exercise book for Harry to know what she expects from him. Yes, exactly right. I exercise, yes, that's right. Yeah. No, I was just going to ask you, I see uh, that you, you tweeted earlier uh, in the week, I think, that uh, the Daily Mail or Associated Newspaper certainly may be able to uh, appeal that decision that was made by a judge that's... relatively recently um, about the father's letter. Yes, that's what I was told, that they have been given permission, not the whole lot, which Megan won some of it, mm. but they have been given um, the chance to come back on some parts of the of the case. Mm. I haven't heard exactly what they are, but I felt my heart leapt forward because um, the more you get to know them and the more you understand how they operate, the less you trust them. And you don't want them actually to win these cases and get enormous amounts of money when they behave um, so appalling, appallingly. Mm. And I know behavior doesn't actually have to do with legal um, uh, results, but I still think that, um, in my mind, the judge wasn't fair enough to the paper to let them actually mm. have a say even. Right. No, I agree with that. And isn't it strange that despite this parental leave that they've taken, which is supposed to last for about five months, taking time off from not doing anything, they seem to be doing the same things that they did before they were on parental leave. So what's the difference? Well, I don't think Meghan can bear to be out of publicity. You know, she wants to make the headlines. And if you look back, I looked back yesterday on some newspaper headlines and they're in it all, nearly all the time. Mm. And all the papers, not just the tabloids, all the papers are following them. And actually, it's a bit of a drug. And without it, you feel you don't exist anymore, I suspect. Yes. And although she wants to be um, a mother and have... Uh, maternity leave she she really can't bear it she's already given an interview um about her book um and 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 she will be continually making comments or making people give comments on her behalf that's the other thing yes. i mean i can't imagine harry if he does indeed come over for the unveiling of diana's statue on the first of july she won't somehow make some sort of show because she won't want to be in the background or not included. No, and also she won't I want... To be nasty. I have to say, I don't mean to be nasty, but she encourages it by her contradictory mm. behaviour. No, quite. And also she won't want any kind of repeat of what happened at Windsor, will she, when uh, Harry came back for, for Prince Philip's funeral, where he appeared to be somewhat cold-shouldered by a lot of the members of the royal family and also, um, you know, made to sort of have conversations that perhaps she didn't want him to have. Yes, but of course that was a memorial service and everybody was deeply moved because he was highly respected and highly loved. So it was all about the Duke of Edinburgh. It wasn't about Harry. And I think that she she didn't um, understand that, nor did Harry. Mm. He thought you know, everyone would welcome him back as if he's the hero return. But it wasn't the right atmosphere and it was very naive of mm. him to think that he was more important than what was going on. I think the Diana statue um, unveiling is very, very different mm. because it's something he 
and William have done together. They started it in 2017, which is a very long time ago, because they kept arguing about what they wanted and how they wanted it done. Um, but it is, they're both, um, it's both their, their, their mother belongs to both of mm. them. And I think that has, it will have a different atmosphere. But again, I think it will be fraught and awkward. There'll be lots of body movement watchers oh, telling I think us so. what... I think it's, it's <laughs> bound to be. And then, of course, you've still got the uh, the business of the bullying allegations, haven't we? Because she, apparently now, Megan, has asked for all the papers uh, and all the submissions that have been made to the inquiry to be given to her so that she can see them all. Yeah, she's going to fight every single one with enormous energy. However, um, this is what uh, a company of solicitors are doing. Mm. Not It's not coming from the royal family. And she probably won't necessarily be able to see all this on demand. They will decide that. She can't stamp her foot and mm. say, you've got to send it to me now because um, this is other people reporting in and that will have to be sorted out. Yeah, well, surely, it's also, surely some of it will be confidential, won't it? Well, I'm sure she won't get to see the confidential things. Mm. Um, and, and I think this is, again, the palace stopping from refraining to say anything and do anything. They are now um, fighting back with all the... Um, contacts they can and quite right too i think it's appalling when you know somebody can't speak back and give their view that you carry on hitting them on the head with a hammer um it's not fair and it's not just no and you have to let i mean we talk so much about wanting to find her voice and how she didn't have her voice uh, when she was in 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 the palace, yeah. but she's not very keen on other people having this. <laughs> no, strangely but enough. But that has to be corrected. Yes. And finally, Angela, a story today from The Telegraph saying that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex rejected the title Earl of Dumbarton for their son Archie because it contained the word dumb. I mean, this is pretty dumb, yeah, isn't that it? That shows how dumb they are. That shows how dumb they are, I think. Yes. I mean, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And it turns out that uh, Harry and apparently already has the title anyway. He is the Earl of Dumbarton, apparently, when he goes to Scotland. Yeah. If he ever goes Perhaps back to Scotland. Perhaps he wants to be a better father than his father, not give that, not give that to his, his son. But I think where there is something that they don't seem to worry about is Archie Foundation. And I don't know that a child would want to be in that position where his whole life and his whole makeup has been designed by his parents. Mm. When he's older, he might not want to support those charities. He might not want his name to be blazooned around the world. Right. He, he, he might hate it. And I think they're not giving any thought to what he might feel about that. Well, I said this the other day. If um, you know they were unhappy about not getting a title for Archie, surely they should be happy about that because... Basically, uh, Prince Harry has constantly said that he hated being a prince. He hated being in the royal family. He hated feeling like he was in some kind of gilded cage where he couldn't be free. He hated not being able to be himself. So why would he want his son to have to go through the same thing? Yeah, well, he said to me he longed to be ordinary, uh, which he couldn't have been and he can't be. But um, Archie can be. Yeah. But I don't think Meghan feels the same. She's very grandiose. Oh, she doesn't want to be ordinary, Apparently, does she? That's the last thing she wants to be. No, she's apparently not speaking to 
most of the members of her family because she's on a, a higher level now. Can you imagine? It's great, isn't it? Can Absolutely hilarious. Brilliant. Yeah. She'll only talk to people if they've got a net worth of at least $300 million. I think that's probably where she's coming from. And A-list celebrities. Yes, exactly right. Angela Levin, thank you very much indeed. Royal biographer there on the latest nonsense coming out of uh, Montecito. Harry, Harry, I can't talk to that person anymore. They're not rich enough. They haven't got enough money. Do they have a private jet? If they have a jet, tell them I can talk to them. Maybe we can borrow it. Harry, Harry. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Uh, you might have noticed yesterday there was a bit of activity uh, over near the uh, uh, the Black Sea. Uh, it was, of course, involving um, a, a British naval ship uh, and also supposedly some Russian activity firing uh, of cannons, firing of, uh, of, of flying over of uh, all sorts of planes. Uh, supposedly there was an incident, an international incident uh, in international waters, which initially uh, was denied by the Royal Navy. Uh, but basically HMS Defender uh, was in the Black Sea. A Russian warship was in the distance. There was a confrontation. There were some jets involved. Let's talk now to our man. Uh, I'm not going to say our man in the Kremlin because that would be wrong. Uh, but Rob Clark from the Henry Jackson Society is our man uh, with his eyes on the Russians and to see what's going on. Uh, let's find out. Rob, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Curious uh, one, this, isn't it? Because yesterday afternoon, I think it happened just after I stopped uh, broadcasting, funnily enough, the news came out that there'd been this incident uh, where the Russians were claiming that uh, that Britain uh, had deliberately sort of sent their ship into Russian waters off the coast of, uh, of Ukraine. Uh, Crimea's involved as well. And initially, um, the Royal Navy and the uh, Defence Department basically denied that it was true, right? Yeah, that's exactly true. Um, unfortunately, in this case, it just highlights the MOD's uh, relatively um, reactive and um, not sort of proactive response to the information uh, space. Um, now, what happened yesterday, uh, HMS Defenders um, transit through international waters and internationally recognised uh, trading routes in the Black Sea. Um, it's important to separate uh, fact from fiction in instances like this, especially when it's this is almost a, a, a war of a, a war of words mm. and uh, a clash of narratives. So it's important to differentiate fact from fiction. Um, the Russian account, um, which was obviously the first uh, one to be released, was how um, HMS Defender violated uh, Russian sovereign waters uh, via the Crimea, um, and they uh, they dropped uh, both missiles and uh, fragmentation missiles and uh, warning shots. Uh, at the ship, and then they, uh, you know, so-called chased, chased the boat, uh, chased the ship away. Um, now, none of these are, strictly speaking, true. Um, first of all, the uh, HMS Defender was in internationally recognised waters, uh, internationally uh, recognised trading routes. Um, uh, it was only about three miles off the coast of Crimea, but uh, no international body um, recognises Crimea uh, as uh, Russian sovereignty. It's still right. uh, internationally recognised as, as Ukrainian. Mm. Um, this is even highlighted by uh, Lukashenko's uh, Belarusian uh, government. Even they uh, failed to refuse, uh, they, they refused to acknowledge um, Crimean sovereignty as Russian. Mm. So that's incredibly important. Um, the, the warning shots and the, the so-called fragmentation missiles dropped from Russian uh, Su-24 jets. Uh, this as well, these, these, were, these were almost miles away 
uh, from from the ship. They, mm. they were seen far off in the distance and they were part of Russian uh, maritime naval exercises which were already taking place. Okay. So again, it fits the broader Russian narrative of, uh, of you know, chasing away, you know, a NATO aggressor mm. uh, and uh, an aggressive British warship. Um, and then uh, and then the UK ship, the naval ship carried on with its mission uh, to uh, to Georgia um, as almost as if nothing happened. Yeah. The reaction time, the reactions uh, on on the ship itself were incredibly professional, incredibly right uh, in in the situation. And it's through the uh, through the uh, good reporting uh, on this instance of Jonathan Beale, who was on board HMS Defender with the BBC, um, that we've got this uh, this this more impartial account of actually what happened. Yes, because also Mark Nicholl was on there from the Daily Mail, their defence editor. I heard a, a royal a former Royal Naval commander this morning uh, talking about the incident, saying that he wonders whether because of the fact that journalists were on board, they got a little bit overexcited because they'd never seen anything like it. And he was talking about you know sort of shadowing various ships through the uh, English Channel, shadowing various Russian ships from a submarine. So he's obviously a guy that is in the know in terms of what sorts of things happen. And it's true, you know, I mean, I've been out with the army. I've been in, in war zones with the army. And I mean, you know, it's kind of, they're very calm in these kind of situations when things actually happen, you know, when the when the brown stuff hits the fan, as they say. Uh, and the journalists are all kind of going, the ones who know what's going on are, are also kind of used to it, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as well, it's important to highlight how this is actually, uh, this is a pattern of behaviour from Russia that we've witnessed before. So whether those journalists on board or not, this is almost the exact same situation as last October when HMS Dragon was, uh, again, sailing from Kiev to Georgia through the shortest possible route, which is what the, the route that HMS Defender took yesterday, through internationally recognised mm. waters, through internationally recognised trading routes, just off the Crimean coast. Um, it is almost verbatim um, what happened last year. And only about a month or so, the Telegraph released how, um, you know, Russia, uh, you know, claimed months in advance, uh, months later that they sort of, you know, they, they chased the ship away. And it's simply not, it's simply not the case. No. And I mean, I know that Russia had already laid claim to Crimea, saying that, you know, the people of Crimea did not wish to become European. And this was all around the time when Angela Merkel was trying to persuade Ukraine to become part of the European Union, or at least to accept their offer of uh, possible membership. But I wasn't aware that they'd actually officially annexed Crimea. Have they done that then? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, since 2014. So this fits the broader um, uh, topics of debate regarding sort of um, NA uh, Ukrainian membership of both the EU and NATO. Mm. Now, both Ukraine and Georgia, who are strong NATO and European allies, um, they have, you know, considerable uh, Russian troop presence, um, illegal troop presence still in the countries from uh, obviously the wars in, uh, in in Georgia and the conflicts in Ukraine. Um, so these issues need, uh, need being resolved first and foremost. Um, and NATO is keen. Uh, to, to move those discussions on with, especially with Ukraine uh, and, and Georgia as well. Um, but there's uh, outstanding issues um, and uh, German Angela Merkel's uh, support uh, of, of this from, from Germany is welcomed. Um, but like I say, these outstanding issues need to be resolved. Yeah, they absolutely do. So, I mean, obviously the meeting between Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin perhaps didn't have the desired effect. Um, it doesn't seem to have changed the way that he operates. No, I mean, the meeting itself uh, from last week, that was literally just to re-establish sort of lines of communication between uh, the embassies, between uh, Washington and Moscow. Um, and uh, it was seen as, sort of, you know, almost like a goodwill gesture. Uh, expectations were obviously incredibly low. Um, and that was uh, very little to do with uh, the UK's relations with, with Russia, which obviously soured after the 2018 Salisbury attack, right. which Russia still refused to, to acknowledge. Um, and uh, and again, this this fits the broader narrative of sort of British and, and Russian relations. Um, you know, these need to be addressed uh, in, in in meaningful ways. And um, but 
in order to do so, Britain cannot be seen to, uh, you know, withdraw uh, under pressure. And mm. the fact that HMS, um, HMS Defender carried on its route yesterday unimpeded, um, despite warnings over the radio that they would be fired upon, absolutely shows the British resolve needed uh, when dealing with Russia. You know, yes. Russia absolutely respect force and strength and that's unfortunately that's the way that uh, that we must respond because of course there are some on uh, what can only be described as the left side of politics who think that this is a dreadful uh, occurrence that could have been avoided if only we hadn't gone there uh, which is not really the way you patrol the seas in international waters is it no absolutely not i mean the british government both the ministry of defense and uh, you know all the way up to the prime minister have uh, labeled quite clearly over the last year or so with the, the integrated review and the recent defense command paper how um, you know, the UK will be uh, having a much more active role uh, internationally, you know, upholding things like the international rules-based order. And that includes uh, absolutely uh, safeguarding international sea lanes like the one that was used yesterday. Yes, absolutely right. So, I mean, all a bit of a storm in a teacup, perhaps, Rob, a bit of posturing? Absolute posturing from Russia, yeah. And it, it, it fits their pattern of trying to reassert uh, against, you know, uh, you know, uh, aggressive NATO uh, members. Um, and uh, it fits their domestic uh, their domestic agenda very well. Yeah, indeed. Rob, thanks very much indeed. Rob Clark from the Henry Jackson Society on the news uh, that emanated from uh, Crimea and Ukraine yesterday. Uh, front page of the Times this morning. You won't stop our ships, defiant Britain tells Putin. I must admit, I was quite shocked um, when I heard some people complaining that we shouldn't be doing this. We should not be involved in this kind of activity. It's not safe for us to do so. Who do we think we are? Well, one of the things that the Royal Navy does rather well is it patrols the international waters of the world in order to make sure that they remain international because there are no no-go areas on the seas, on the high seas indeed, uh, because there should never be. It's as simple as that. Billy says this, Mike, I completely agree with you. We need to tell the government we've had enough and start living our lives with some normality without them constantly interfering. If you want to wear a mask and not go out, that's fine. Like the rest of us, uh, let us just get on with our lives. Well, I think most people are now coming around to that idea because people are sick to death of it, as I was saying earlier. I mean, George Eustace is more or less saying now that face masks will disappear in three weeks' time. So that will be the end of that then, won't it? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.